0: Just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes, this is Next Level Guy, the only
1: website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello? Welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast. Today's guest is Daya Rose. She's creator of the health upgrade website, Summer Tomorrow. She holds a PhD in neuroscience and is the author of the awesome book, Foodist. Today we discuss all things food and health related and how subtle changes to our approach to food can change our lives in such a dramatic way. But first, a quick word about our affiliates. Next Level Guy is in partnership with some awesome companies to see the latest deals, special offers and listener exclusives please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. That's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. I particularly recommend you check out Alpha Brain by those great guys at onit.com, and the Dollar Shave Club's great deal of amazing shave for a few bucks. Simply click on the affiliates page on the site to see the latest deals and special discounts codes. And now to the interview. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this, but for people who are not aware of who you are, how would you say who you are and what you do?
0: Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, I, I'm, I'm Daria Rose. I am the author of Foodist, uh, Using Real Food and Real Science to Lose Weight Without Dieting. I also run a website, Summer Tomato, where it's sort of my blog where I give advice on health and psychology and eating behaviors, and I also have a podcast called Foodist, and um, I'm a trained neuroscientist, and my background is in science, but I became fascinated with health and food through my own personal experiences with dieting and trying to lose weight at a young age as a young woman in Southern California, (laughs) Um, and I ended up solving the the issue for myself, and now I, I help others do the same.
1: I mean, that's something I really enjoyed about your website was the, you know, your history of how you start to eat healthy. And I think it mimics a lot of people. And it's something that we struggle with. But because it's we eat daily, people just accept accept it. So should we really care about what we're eating? Or is there more serious problems in what we eat?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, food is it is. You're right. Like it's something it's easy to take for granted. And I think that I certainly grew up with that understanding, It's, it's especially young people. I feel like we have this idea that sort of what we eat is just what we do. And it, we don't really think about it as as something that's that important. But one of the things that I've really come to learn over the years is that it's actually tremendously important. And I had never, you know, as a young person, I'd never put together that, you know, if I have a stomach ache one day or I have a headache one day or I get the cold or a or flu, that all of that is related to how I care for myself. And the single most fundamental thing you can do to care for yourself is what you fuel your body with. And I'm not, I'm not of the belief that food should be viewed at 100% as fuel. I think that the idea that food can be pleasurable is also very important, but it's not so mysterious that that how we feel is dependent upon what we put in our bodies and making those connections is actually key to changing your behavior and and doing it right because you have to, you have to sort of feel that in your body. And when you start paying attention is when you can finally do that. And, you know, for instance, like when you, when you eat, when you feel yourself really well, you feel amazing. Like it's it's a hugely noticeable difference. And when you eat crap all the time, And you've never eaten anything else, you don't realize how much better you could feel every single day of your life if you chose better food. So that, that's a big lesson that I had to learn, and I think a lot of people still need to learn. Um, but it's hard unless you've experienced it. You know, you can hear the intellectual arguments, but unless you've experienced what it feels like to eat great food then it's hard it's hard to really believe until you do
1: and is that something that you consider like one of the biggest issues that we face in this modern world it's that you know the quality of the food that people have become accustomed to or is it more just their attitude towards it or you know we eat too much and obesity and things like that
0: i mean it's it's all part of the culture and it, it is all i mean yeah you can do it as a problem because i mean the top Four causes of death are directly related to food, and and it's not just like you die like you eat bad and then you die. It's like years and years of complications and sickness and obesity and fatigue and depression and treatments for diabetes and you know soaring medical costs. I mean it's yeah and it it is you know it's what you put in your body. It's how much of it you eat. It is your attitude. Like that all impacts how. you decide to live your life and you know it's subtle it's psychology it's funny it's like what what i do now mainly as i focus on people's psychology because that's where behavior change starts and if you just think to yourself oh i should eat vegetables because that's healthy and i want to be healthy that rarely sticks (laughs) if if you've tried it you probably know like sounds good for a week or two but the second you go on vacation or your kids get sick or, or something stressful happens, it all kinda of goes out the window and
1: oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So that's not enough. And but like you said, the culture that we have pushes us in that direction. Like the normal is poor food choices, overeating and all that jazz. And so undoing that is not trivial. It takes concerted effort and that's, you know, why I try to help people.
1: So, I mean, I've seen a, a big difference in just how I feel and my motivation, my energy levels, etc. You know, when I started eating healthy again compared to, you know, when I started snacking more, working in an office job, etc. Can you go into a little bit about, you know, what you consider real food and processed foods are? And, you know, is it the way these foods are manufactured and harvested and treated with chemicals? Or is it more of what they put into them rather than how people are cooking them etc
0: really good question so this is one of the great mysteries of of nutrition science still i mean when so just 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 to clarify what we're talking about the science has shown you know there's a lot of science out there like if you follow the health news i mean you're going to see headlines that just say the most outrageous things and then Two months later, you'll see the exact opposite headline, you know, like like fat's bad for you, fat's good for you, sugar's the devil, sugar's fine, like all these things. And this vitamin prevents cancer. Actually, it causes cancer. (laughs) And this happened. This has been happening for decades. And. You know it's funny. it's like the one of the things that has come up so we don't have a lot of answers. I mean we know that vitamin C prevents scurvy and you know like we, we have some sort of some some rough ideas of how nutrition works in general. but one of the the more compelling trends that has emerged from the science is that, Almost always, when the reason like something comes out as being really good is because they find like a population of people who's like eating in a specific way, and that, let's say, that population in their diet happens to have a lot of vitamin E or some fiber or just something that you know, and they're like, oh, maybe that's the secret. And so what they'll do is they'll like isolate that vitamin and they'll stick it into like breakfast cereal or they'll stick it in a vitamin pill, and they'll start giving it to people in clinical trials to think if it's going to make them healthy and. It turns out like it totally doesn't <laughs> or even does something bad. And then, then they're really confused like, oh, yes, we, we thought antioxidants were good. All these people eat, eat all these fruits and vegetables and they don't get cancer. And we thought it was because the antioxidants are, are sucking up the free radicals and preventing it. But then when you just give people antioxidants, they get more cancer. So what's going on here? Well, this we've seen this pattern so many times in science. And what inevitably ends up being true is that the original source of the food is associated with good health but the individual nutrients are a lot harder to pin down and you know one of the reasons for that is probably that a food is not a nutrient a food is a dynamic system of living things that are working together in unison and humans have evolved to eat foods you know in certain combinations to get all of their nutrition and so the benefits almost inevitably come from the food itself, the real food, whatever, something that grows out of earth <laughs> or, or swims in the ocean or, or you know, flies through the sky, real like animals and plants and minerals from the landscape, whereas we have tried to create artificial versions of these in labs, you know, and that's basically what processed food is. So there's processed crap food, which is just, Twinkies and sugar and fat and salts that taste good. That's obvious. Like we all know that's bad. <laughs> but um, but also but nice. the nice to eat though. So. <laughs> right, right, right. But but like we we're not pretending it's healthy. Know, but... Um, but the 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 real thing that sort of is kind of amazing when you think about it is that these foods that are engineered to be healthy are actually not healthy either. And so all of those in my brain go into the category of processed food. So whether it's processed food just for enjoyment or processed food that's supposed to be healthy but actually isn't, like that whole category is, is of things that you should probably be avoiding. And you brought up an interesting point, which is that, well, what is it? Is it the processing? Is it the preservatives? Is it the isolated nutrients? The, the, the truth is we don't know. You know. We don't know why a tomato or an apple or a piece of spinach is so good and like has all these positive associations with it when you isolate any of those nutrients and put them in a power bar and it doesn't work the same we don't we don't have a good reason it could be it's probably a combination of all of the things but the good news is that you don't need to understand all the science to choose the right thing
1: right yeah i mean it's that was something when i started going to the gym regularly you know people just said if it comes in a box don't eat it you know, that was the sort of as simple as they put it, and it was a case of, if it's something your grandfather or great grandfather could eat, eat that, don't touch, you know, even avoid protein powders and things like that. You know, these sort of created chemically substances that were meant to mimic food, and it's amazing, as soon as I cut all that out and started eating properly, what a difference it made to just my general being, you know? Um, yeah. So for somebody who's listening to this, um, you know, unfortunately, we've had such a rise in conditions, like you mentioned, like diabetes and um, all sorts of other neurological diseases and health. And, you know, they're just listening to this. They're feeling tired and run down, but not ill as such. Is it a way that you would start analysing somebody's diet to look for problems and eliminate issues? Or, you know, is that something that takes too long to do and you just get them starting eating healthier? as is-
0: yeah, yeah, really good question. First of all, I wanted to mention that I'm very impressed by the people at your gym. I mean, I live in New York, and everybody here is still pounding protein powder like it's nobody's business. <laughs> like, so I'm impressed that your your gym friends told you to uh, avoid box foods and powders. Well, that was, that was um, one
1: of them. The next one was over. Oh no, you need all these supplements. You need this. You need <laughs> that. So,
0: but you're right. You're right. Like, and I used to be the same way. Like, I was I was a dieter like a a chronic dieter for a really long time. And I didn't, I never ate bad. Like I never ate sugary fatty foods. Like that was never the thing, but I ate lots of the protein bars and, and mixed diet shakes and powders and supplements. And I did all that stuff. And yeah, I weighed more. I felt terrible. I was always hungry. I was grumpy. I got sick every year. And when I switched to real food, not hungry anymore, because I was eating more. And, I stopped getting sick. My skin cleared up. My hair got all shiny. It was amazing. Um, so how do you do it? Right. Yeah. That's a really good question, because for a lot of people, that's a huge diet overhaul. I mean, that is a lot. It sounds overwhelming. And so that's where the psychology comes in. Right. Because, you know, it'd be easy for me to say, oh, yeah, just Totally do the thirty-day plan and and cut out all the junk and eat thirty this way for thirty days and you'll feel amazing and you will like that's true if you can do it <laughs> you'll feel amazing for a very brief period of time until you go crashing back into your old habits. You know me um, too well. <laughs> most people can't do that and even if you can, you set up this weird. Even if you can do it for the for a duration of time. Most people can't sustain it indefinitely. It's too hard and it's too restrictive and it takes out too much of the joy in life. And our human psychology is not meant to handle like long-term deprivation like that. So, you know, if you, I, I don't recommend that approach, <laughs> um, even though I'm sure a bunch of people will try it anyway. Um, instead, what I recommend people do is really focus on one thing at a t- time to switch toward real food and and act in like in activities and ones that you love. So, you know, if you hate broccoli, I'm not saying stop what you're doing, stop eating fried chicken and just start eating broccoli every night. Like that's that's not going to work either. Uh and but there's got to be something you like. There's got to be maybe you like fruit. Maybe you like carrots. Maybe you know, maybe whatever it is. And Just Try, you know, start with breakfast or with lunch, start with whatever's easiest for you and give it a try. Just add something in that's good and, you know, take it from there. And that's what I did. You know, I was like, you know, I started with one thing, like I'm going to start, I just started um, cooking for me because that was a big, it was a big thing. I just realized that most of what I was eating was like in bar form (laughs) or like, or some sort of box, like you said, something in a box. And so I just started going to the the market, uh, like the farmer's market, and buying vegetables. And, you know, when you buy them at the market and they're fresh and in season, they kind of are amazing by themselves. Like it's nothing like going to the grocery store where everything's old and shipped from around the world. Like this stuff was just fresh and delicious. I didn't have to do very much to it to taste good. And I even discovered after a while that things that I thought I didn't like, like I didn't like Brussels sprouts, I didn't like cucumbers, I didn't like eggplants. When, when I get those things fresh at the market, they're actually quite delicious. And, you know, maybe not the first time I buy them every single time, but I have completely overhauled my whole taste preferences just by being open-minded and exploring and just going one day at a time. And, you know, it takes a while, but, you know, it's been 12 years now for me, something like that. <laughs> and I haven't gone back yet. So um, yeah, it's a slow and steady approach, focusing on things you enjoy, and and you know, just making it making it a fun journey. You have to like the journey. It has to be about. The process and not about the goal the goal will come
1: yeah I mean that's a that's a great tip because too many people want to do run before they can walk and you know just removing one thing at a time that's really gonna help and I know what you mean about the you know if you eat healthier or stuff that's just like you know I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland for instance and add fresh fish was just off the boat and I can really taste the difference when it's been frozen etc and and um, we don't really have a farmer market here, but I now live in a big city in Scotland. And what a difference, you know, you let the ingredients speak for themselves rather than the E numbers and the sugar. And you, right. what a difference it makes to you. Could you go into a little bit about then how that, you know, food affects us physically, emotionally, and mentally? You know, what, how does it cause these differences in the brain and the, you know, the enzymes and things like that?
0: really good question so this is something that we don't know really at all um, and it's and it drives me batty it just drives me nuts because you know for instance like I, I will see studies that somebody will say like oh like I actually saw somebody I can't even I don't even want to reference this but I'm going to but I was so angry about this article that I, I didn't even share it with people to tell them I was angry about it, but I'm going to tell you about it now. (laughs) It was basically this article that like lettuce was like super poor use of farmland because it didn't have very much nutrient density. And basically the only things that they were calculating were like vitamin, like A through D or whatever, like the basic vitamins. And that was it. And I'm like, we like the the vitamin, the things that we consider vitamins, right, are not even close to a fraction of all the essential things that we need to, to survive, let alone thrive. Right. Like when we when, when these vitamins were discovered, it was like, OK, you have vitamin C, you need that so you don't get scurvy. You need this vitamin so you don't have this problem. You need that vitamin. And those were super obvious problems. But nobody's testing, hey, if you don't eat enough of this, you might have depression, Nobody's saying, hey, if you have this in the morning, you can focus a little better for a couple more hours today. Nobody's saying if you eat this food or you avoid this food, you'll have a better workout at the gym. You'll like it better or you'll have a better relationship with your husband <laughs> you know, because you won't be so grumpy. You know, these are things or you won't get a cold. You know, like these things are all so subtle that they're actually science isn't good at testing them. Because we eat such a dynamic array of nutrients in our food, and everybody's so different. Like we all have that's another thing. We all have genetically different metabolisms to some extent, and so you know maybe something that helps me a lot is not so good for you. Maybe you have a different genetic variation that you know. For an example, I have a, a, a gene that I discovered through a service called Twenty Three and Me that I can't digest. I don't, my body doesn't process folate the way, same way like a normal person would. And it's, it's, you know, not that common of a gene, but like, I mean, my husband has it too. A few people have it. It's called the MTFR, uh, nucleotide, uh, SNP. Um, and so what that means is that I need, if I'm gonna like get the most of my folate, I need it to be methylated. <laughs> um, so like I have to eat different forms of folate than maybe somebody else would. Mm-hmm. And God knows how that's impacting it my brain or my body you know it's like that folate is such a critical vitamin in so many different processes in your brain and do you know how many different types of neurons are in your brain and all the different crazy things they're doing like how how are we going to know how that impacts my life if i get enough of that nutrient i
1: mean it's scary it's scary when you think about just that kind of you know little subtle things you know what causes colds what can prevent a cold what can make you feel better you know etc. to give you depression you know, real food, and you think you're taking those out and just giving the very basic nutrients back in for the processed stuff. It's, it's remarkable when you actually really stop and think about it.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's completely crazy, and 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 again, it's one of those things. It's like there's no study that can tell me how I, how I feel differently, right? Like. What does that even mean? It's too subjective, you know, but I, I promise you, and like you're saying too, I feel a million times better in so many ways I can't even count. So yeah, it's really hard. And, and it's like, it's, it's like, it, it's not science that way yet, but it's, it's really powerful. And it is terrifying to think that we thought we were being smart <laughs> by, by stripping out all the, all the unquote, unquote, unnecessary stuff, and just putting in the, the basic vitamins that we know how they work.
1: So that's our problem it's we're trying to be too smart for our own goods, and you know nature's providing us some amazing things, and we're messing with nature, you know um, and do you see a trend? Is it Western societies that are eating too much and you know the crap um Is that true that the Eastern sort of societies are generally healthier and fitter than the like in the Western societies and civilizations?
0: Um, sort of the, the findings are typically that the more urban and the more you rely on processed foods, the more unhealthy you are. So in big cities, pretty much everywhere you have the exact same problems.
1: Because we're getting more McDonald's and things like that. Right,
0: exactly. Um, But in, in more rural areas, you're going to, or anywhere, anywhere that still relies more on traditional methods, and cultures of eating is doing better, pretty much across the board.
1: Well, something I really enjoyed about your site was it made you look at food and and actually consider food. It wasn't just something to eat while you're running between meetings. You know, you actually start thinking about the philosophy behind it and how it impacted you. And something I really enjoyed was the article about, are you hungry or is it something else? Can you just go into a little bit about how we can actually tell First off, are we really hungry, or is it something else that's maybe causing this?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So th- this comes this this was about, about th- th- this comes down to psychology again, because humans use food not just for fuel. <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, um, obviously fuel is an important aspect of what food provides, but we eat for social reasons. We eat for pleasure reasons. We eat for convenience reasons. We eat for lots of reasons. And one of the things that has come up as a trend that I've seen a lot is we, people eat for emotional reasons. And specifically, people use food as an avoidance tactic, something to avoid anxiety or boredom or negative feelings, uh, it's almost like you would compulsively drink alcohol or gamble or, or something like that. It's you've, you've gone out of the realm of I need this sustenance or I want the sustenance to, I'm going to like take this sustenance to, to fix a problem that's in my head. And it can be very tricky. You know, our, our subconscious, the psychology that, drives the vast majority of our behavior it doesn't like distinguish well between i want this because i'm hungry or i want this because i'm anxious and i have a long time habit of eating to cover up my pop my my emotional problems right so becoming aware of that like bringing that subconscious because when when you feel either one of those things your body's just like eat right like you're you just go into like eat mode Um, but in order to get to a place where you are no longer compulsively following an impulse that is not something you actually choose but is sort of a reaction to something that you've been conditioned to over the years and maybe isn't serving you well anymore uh, in order to be more conscious of your choices and do the things that you actually want to do that are best for you you have to literally be more conscious. And that means bringing awareness to the underlying causes of why you're eating. And this is hard for people, as you can imagine. First of all, it's by its nature, it's subconscious. You're not aware of it. So bringing awareness to your actions is hard as just by definition. But also, sometimes we, want, we don't want to see what's there. <laughs> you know, we don't want the reason we're, we're avoiding it for a reason. Sometimes it's, not as bad as we think, but sometimes it is something that scares us quite a bit. And, you know, that, that, that's something that needs to be addressed if you ever hope to change behavior. Like if you're finding that you compulsively eat or, or binge or emotionally eat, like this is something you're gonna have to address in order for, To to stop that problem,
1: and is it quite obvious the reasons for it, or is it is it quite complex? I knew that was going to be the answer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, it depends. You know, sometimes it can be something pretty simple. You know, some you know, sometimes it just takes realizing being like not being busy, and this is actually a really common one. So we have sort of been conditioned now to like always have our phones and always be busy you know, always be consuming and we get anxious if we aren't doing that. Like it feels like something is wrong. And some people, if they don't have anything to do, they will just, that anxious will make them so uncomfortable that they'll eat. And that takes the anxiousness away because, you know, it gives you literally just gives you something to do. Uh, and it's like sort of rewarding. And sometimes it's just, that's enough. You can just recognize like, Oh, I just have like boredom, anxiousness. and, Rec- like and once you recognize it you don't have to act on it anymore <laughs> you realize it's not a reason to panic and that if you don't eat all those donuts you'll be okay but sometimes it's like you know deeply ingrained my mom made me hate myself type situation that's a lot harder to undo so it depends but but you know but the first step is always awareness and and it can either be something that's simple to solve or something that's a lot more complicated
1: no Imagine hypothetically we had somebody listening um, who just happens to be sitting in the same seat as me, and they've put on a few pounds, and they're starting to look at what they're eating, and you know, and they've noticed, you know, they do routines of going to the same place, picking up the same, say, meal deal that's full of sugar, and they pick up the snacks because they have the energy drop, you know, after lunch, etc. How would you address that? I mean, I know you've got some great podcasts where you actually go through this with a client. But how should somebody start looking to lose weight and change their diet is it is it literally as simple as trying an apple instead of a biscuit or you know how can we get over the sugar addiction and
0: yeah so good question so this this will depend a lot on the circumstances but one of the things that i encourage people to do like from the get-go is look at your habits kind of like what you're saying like if you you notice you're sort of doing the same things over and over again. And by the way, we all do this. Like we are creatures of habit. Take a look at those and notice patterns. Because sometimes, like if you're, especially if you're only talking about like 5, 10, 15 pounds, sometimes it's just one habit that can make that just disappear overnight if you just switch it up. And, And another thing is that a lot of the time, that habit isn't something you particularly care about. You know, it's not like, like you love that lunch so much. It's just that you happen to be at work and the place happens to be across the street and you happen to be a little lazy about it. You know what I mean? It's like it could easily, easily be solved by just a little bit more foresight. So, so yeah. So I encourage people to do something of like an 80-20 analysis of their their food habits and their exercise habits for a week. Right. And, and one of the places that is just a great target for stuff like that is just weekdays. You know, when you think about it, if you're having lunch at work, that is not a special occasion. (laughs) Like, you should not be eating something super indulgent every day at work. Like, it's not like you just need food. It should be as healthy as possible. It should taste good. You shouldn't hate it. And it should be satisfying and it should get you through the, till dinner. But like, that is such an easy target. Just, like if you can just fix lunch, like a lot of people, that that'll just, you'll just lose ten pounds in a few months. Um, and you say so you can do you can do tricks like, like that, and sometimes it is as easy as just walking an extra block and getting the salad that you actually really like, but it was just an extra block so you never thought about it before.
1: Yeah, because I can remember catching myself picking up the like you know the sandwich and the bottle of coke and thinking. I don't really even like this anymore. You know, it, it just tasted numb again. You know, it's you weren't getting the same thing. It was just the, fuck, oh, it's easy, it's cheap, it's right in front of me. It's like, like you said, it's the laziness of it. And, you know, is, do you recommend that, to that people start like maybe prepping meals the night before or just making enough at their dinner to do for their lunches? Or, you know, when you're starting off with somebody who's got really bad habits, is it a case of saying... Still go buy your lunch, but go to a shop that you actually want to try? Or, you know, do you get them to start making their own dinners and stuff like that?
0: You hit on a lot of great possibilities. And the answer depends on the person. So, right. Anything is better than the crap you're eating. Like, like, like we can start there. You said like right? my mom.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, like, right. But if you start with that basic assumption, let's just assume you're going across the street and you're getting like some meal deal at McDonald's. So, like, anything is better than that. Just not getting the Coke is better than that, right? Like, you're cutting out 400 calories right there. So, or 300, whatever. Um. So... I mean, view it that way. View any any deviation from this is a win. So here's what I would tell people. If you like cooking dinner, if dinner's easy for you, cook extra the night before and bring it in. Great. If that works for you, awesome. If it's easier for you to keep going out but go somewhere different until you find something you like that, like, just as much but is going to make you feel better, is a little healthier, you can do that. You can even, like, y- another thing is that sometimes once a week, like if you are you feel like weird about like getting up in the morning and making your lunch or making your lunch the night before and you don't have leftovers and there's no salad place that you like, just once a week, get up early and see maybe five minutes early and pack a lunch and see how that works for you. You know, it doesn't have to be my way. <laughs> it just needs to be better than what you're doing and find something that works for you. And that is, that's a really powerful reframe on how to change your behavior because it's suddenly like really doable, right? It doesn't feel like, well, in order to lose weight, I have to, you know, give up all sugar for this many months and all that stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. Just do better and work from there and you will see results, I promise you.
1: Yeah, because that's why I really liked your stuff was it wasn't a case of, no, you have to stop everything. Right now, you know, do it cold turkey and you know fine well, people would fail. You just gave straightforward advice, going, you know, instead of just going and buying a cookie and that because you're bored, maybe go for a walk, you know. And it was just the, f- you actually got people to stop and really think about what they're doing, and it's something that we just, you know, go, ah, it's only dinner, it's only a, a bad lunch, but this is what actually, like you said, it's one of the four main, you know, like the top four killers that we face in the modern world. Um, so if somebody is listening to this right now. And, you know, what is something that they can do? You know, do you have what's your top three tips for improving their health?
0: Good question. So there's so many things, first of all, Um, like like you were saying, like it doesn't need to be this one thing. But one of the things that I definitely recommend frequently because it is something that people don't think about. And and I, I think that you really nailed it there, by the way, when you said that the issue is that people just don't think about it. Like if you, you have to bring some awareness to your behavior and that's really the key. Um, so one of the first things you can start is, so I don't like to start with removing things. So, because that feels like a diet, it feels like deprivation. And when you're removing things, it doesn't feel as good. But what most people can do pretty effortlessly is just try to eat more vegetables. Just like try to eat more vegetables, like at dinner, at lunch and make that a priority. And and I would add a little caveat to that, which they should be ones you like. You should try to find vegetables, dishes, vegetables, specific types of vegetables that you enjoy and just start working more of those into what you eat. And, you know, eventually it'll start pushing out other things and you won't be as hungry and you'll start to like them more. (laughs) You'll start craving them a little more. And it works. It works really well. And it's not it's it's, a, it's an ad, it's an ad, you know, it's a it's a fun thing. It's an adventure. It's not something you have to give up. And starting there can be a really, a really big one. Um, I have a similar approach to physical activity, which I think is just as important um, for for long- term health, being not specifically not being sedentary. So sedentary behavior is really, really bad, and that just means sort of sitting all day, and and moving around very little. But and most people think, well, if I'm going to get in shape, I've got to go to the gym and I've got to pump iron, and I've got to get all sweaty, I've got to have a special pair of clothes and shoes and a gym membership. Again, you're going too far, too fast. Start simple. Walk more. Um, you know, 10,000 steps a day gets thrown a lot around a lot. That's a great goal if you can do that. Awesome. If you're walking 3000 steps today right now, try to get it to 4 or 5. You know, it's it, like you don't have to go all the way you, and you'll see like taking walks is kind of nice. <laughs> it's kind of lovely. Like I don't know anybody who doesn't enjoy it. So, um, you know, just start with little things and move toward vegetables, real food, being active, not sedentary. And, and you I think you'll be amazed at how, how much of an impact it has. Most people think that's not enough, and they talk themselves out of doing anything, but it actually is. It actually makes a huge a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really like that idea of it's you're adding stuff to it. You're not taking things away, you know, because you get this p- idea that people have of they're being punished by going on a diet. They're being restricted in what they can eat, when in reality, it's just you just choose better options. Um, and is that why do you think most of the readers and the clients you've worked with is it mainly that they're just getting it, the food because it's easier? You know, are they making a choice to get the crap, or you know, why aren't they cooking? Do they see it's too much hassle, or are they not do they n- not enjoy cooking, or is there a standard kind of problems that you face with readers and clients and things like that?
0: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things and, and that come up regularly. Um, cooking is, is definitely has been a bottleneck for some people because it feels a very, uh, it, it feels hard. You know, people have a lot of beliefs around cooking. Like, oh, I'm not a natural chef. I'm not good at it. You know, my grandma was good, but my mom never taught me that sort of thing. Or it takes too much time. There's all this, there's all this stuff. So yeah, that's definitely, a factor, and, and I and I definitely work with people to get over stuff like that. But a lot of people, it's um, it's not so straightforward. So I mean, I, I work with a lot of people who have tried a million things to be healthy, and they're still struggling. They're still overweight. They still binge eat. They still emotionally eat. So it's not that they are not willing or able to cook or eat healthy. It's that they've been so um, the psychology has sort of gotten sticky for them in a way that they it undermines their effort and they end up so they'll be good like they'll be like too good you know they'll like they'll restrict themselves and they'll do this and they'll force themselves to eat salad with no dressing and and things that aren't satisfying and then you know saturday will come around and they'll find themselves like knee deep in a bag of cookies <laughs> and so that's a different that's a different problem. And so a lot of the work I do is getting people to undo the dieting mentality, to undo this idea that you can restrict yourself to health, um, and being more compassionate with themselves and allowing themselves to know that it's okay to eat food because you enjoy it. And that if you give up that restriction, you don't binge, you don't go crazy by overdoing it, you actually become much more reasonable in how you're able to deal with sort of pleasureful foods that aren't necessarily the healthiest foods and it's really hard for people to accept because it's very it feels counterintuitive when you've lived in a world of restriction and binging for a long time you feel like if you let the brakes off the restriction you're just going to go nuts the other direction which is your experience but it's because you still believe in your mind that eating for pleasure is bad and um anyway so yeah there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of deep psychology about why people struggle with this stuff but in my experience um the the I don't know how to eat healthy and I just don't want to is almost not as common as people over trying, trying too hard to be healthy and having it backfire in their face.
1: And is that how we can avoid the, you know, the comfort food trap, you know, just avoid having a diet basically so you never need treats and cheat meals because you're never really, you know, sort of punishing yourself or the willpower is always there because you can always have a wee thing here and there or is it just looking at more about eliminating your limiting beliefs and mental blocks to food that really get you over that hurdle
0: yeah it's there's not an easy answer unfortunately you, what you were hinting at is something is what i call like food moralizing where you've set up categories in your mind of these foods are good and these foods are bad and i'm good if i eat this way and i'm bad if i eat this way but then if i've been good for a long time then i deserve to be a little bad (laughs) and it it sets up this this um push pull of sort of a devil on one shoulder and the, the angel on the other shoulder and they're they're always fighting and um yeah
1: that's I mean, I used to do that at the gym, you know, you ate healthy for a week and then on Saturday you were allowed to cheat meal. And before you knew it, Saturday and Sunday you were eating pizza and drinking Coke and and then you just start again on Monday and it, it was just pointless. It never got you anywhere.
0: It never gets you anywhere. And, and that's sort of, that's the secret to undoing it is realizing that it's pointless and that you're torturing yourself all week. And then actually most people don't even enjoy the binge because they overdo it so much they feel sick and they feel guilty so it's like you're not enjoying any of this (laughs) like why are you doing this and that is sort of the when you realize that you're like just torturing yourself pointlessly that's the the secret to like wanting to try something new and being willing to maybe think that it's not such a great idea to demonize certain foods and to glorify certain foods um yeah it's, it's uh easier said
1: than done though it's it certainly is for me. I mean, and see if somebody's listening to this. How would you want them to start having the you know the philosophy towards food? Is it just a case of you know a fist size of carbs, a handful of veggies, and you know say a protein each night? Prep meals for going out later, or you know is it been becoming a bit more adventurous? Is there general rules that you set people that you work with?
0: Mm, not 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 usually i mean usually you have to meet someone where they are so i'm not going to tell you to eat a certain amount of carbs or protein i don't i don't even use those words (laughs) like macro micronutrients because yeah they don't they just confuse people and they, they they actually set up the good bad mentality right like oh i have to i have to do this that's the good thing to do and that means the other thing is the bad thing to do and it just it just downward spiral from there so i mean one of the first things i do is try to get people to stop being hungry you know people eat they try one of the things that is a problem when they're like quote being good is that they'll just like have a really small salad for lunch and they're starving by four o'clock and then they make bad decisions and they don't know why i'm like well you're starving nobody makes good decisions when they're starving so you know and, and then and then getting really in touch with the values that you have around food. So most people are kind of the same. Like we want to be healthy. We want to feel good. We want to have energy. And we want to enjoy social situations that involve food, which is like all social situations almost, right? So, but you have to, in that, you have to come to terms with the fact that it's okay to eat things because they taste good, even if they're not, quote, healthy, Right, even if they have sugar in them and might spike your insulin, like you have to uh, like believe that that's okay to do sometimes in order for it to also be okay to eat vegetables you like. Like those are two things that like people struggle with. They're like they they have trouble believing that vegetables can ever taste good because they set them up as like this virtuous thing, like going to church or something, <laughs> and they set up um you know all sugar as it has to taste good. and none of that's true. You know, it's like I've had desserts that are absolutely disgusting and I've had vegetables that are absolutely divine that I would take over any junk food. And once you get into that category where there's good versions of everything and bad versions of everything and it's up to you to pick the ones that are worth it to you and have the quality, then it gets a lot easier. And um, and so, yeah, I encourage people to sort of reframe that whole picture (laughs) and get some more nuance in there that's not just about health you know and being good and being bad because that is where you get into trouble
1: so say if we take it to the beginning and somebody's thinking right i'm going to improve my diet they are going to go to the shop how would you get them to start using things like farmers' markets and you know do you is there a way that they can construct their shopping list or is it just a case of go out and try a bit of this and you know gradually improve it because this is where a lot of people fail is they don't make a list they go in when they're hungry and they just pick you know how they feel at the time and they end up with like the bag of cookies and the chips and the you know all the the comfort food. How can we shop better to start working towards being healthier?
0: Yeah, this is this is a good question. There's This is why habit journals can be really useful. So when we talked before about sort of taking a good look at the habits and the things you're doing all the time, if you're eating takeout every night after work, there's a really good chance that you don't necessarily love the takeout, but that you're tired and you're hungry and you just don't know what else to do. Right. So in in cases like that, you you come up with it like a plan. You're basically confronted with a planning issue. And if you don't know how to cook, that's an issue as well. So like you're either deal- like you can be you can have a deficit in skills um, or you can have a deficit in planning. And both of those things. Well, like, like you can't – I'm not going to tell you to go to the grocery store and buy like XYZ veg vegetables and go home and cook them on night. If you don't know how to cook, that's not going to do you any good, right? Like you're not going to do it when you're hungry and tired after work. You're just going to go do the thing you always do because you don't – you're not going to also learn how to cook that night. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, you sort of have to pr- figure out where you are again and and go from there so if you've never cooked in your life try making a salad on a weekend salads don't require cooking (laughs) don't require heat they do take some some um it takes some thought to make them satisfying enough so maybe you might you know maybe you have to learn to boil an egg or maybe you need to buy some cheese or some learn how to cook some rice or something to put in there so that it's satisfying enough um But you should not be doing that when you're tired and hungry after work because you won't and you'll just fail and then you'll just feel bad. On weekends, you have a little bit more time. Try something. Um, If you can cook a stir fry but you only have like one recipe that you go to all the time, try it. Think of a new vegetable you've always wished you knew how to cook. Just one. And like... Make that your weekend project. Like, just buy that ve- vegetables are like two dollars. <laughs> just do an experiment. Um, it's not that hard. And take it from there. And just do one at a time. And you know, you know where to start. Like, you know what you like. You know what you're willing to do. You know when you're tired. When you're not. When you have time. When you don't. What you can afford. What you can't. What you hate. <laughs> what you like. Those are the things you should be factoring into your decision because your goal is to form new habits. Your goal is to eat more vegetables, cook more at home, be more active, You know, be less reliant on junk. I don't mind if you eat junk if it's a conscious to- choice. That's great. But you don't want to be reliant on it just because you don't have the skills and you haven't planned well enough. That's a, That's a bad reason. So that's what you're trying to avoid, and you do that one step at a time. You just put one foot in front of another until you have the skills and the planning down.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer. Um, so that was something I was discussing with Kyle on, um, Kyle Ingham on the last podcast was that we were the first society of men who are not really taught how to cook and, you know, we don't have those kind of skills and a lot of guys struggle because, you know, it's easier to pick up a phone than it is to take a chance to cook and possibly ruin a meal if you're tired and, you know, you want the food there and then. But I remember um, Tim Ferriss's book, I think it was Four Hour Chef. He mm-hmm. was saying about how you can, um, you know, don't try to cut like say chop an onion when you're needing it for your dinner. Chop an onion when you're sitting watching a TV program, just to get into the skill. When it's mm-hmm. you're removing the, the potential for it to go wrong and you know to fail. You're just making right, and also it
0: the panic of I'm hungry and I need to eat right now. <laughs> you don't want to learn a new skill when you're starving.
1: As I find out, I mean, there's nothing nicer than a steak, but when you're trying to cap veg in a certain way and, you know, it's the pan's heating up and you're starving and, you know, it's it's not a good time to try to learn how to chop an onion in a, a proper way. Um I mean, is that the kind of things that people just need to do? It's like, you know, change their oil um look at how they're, like, throwing an extra veg and that? Because I think that definitely works for me is that little, just little changes here and there, nothing major, and, you know, if you don't like it, yeah, you just move on. You just do something else. Um, What sort of issues do you find that people complain about with the cooking? Is it just they don't know how to cook in general or is it recipes and they don't know what vegetables to try and things like that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I actually – this is the bane of my existence for a long time. I was like, why won't people cook? Because I know, like the people – so they're – my my readers – I like obviously, like some of them would like read my stuff and have tremendous success. You know, they'd lose fifty, sixty pounds, like feel amazing. And then there were people who were still really struggling. and And I noticed that a huge component of people who were having success versus people who weren't was whether or not they cooked at home. And so I was like, well, like, let's get to the bottom of this because I cook, and it doesn't seem that hard. So, like what's going on here? And I, by the way, I was never taught to cook. I taught myself how to cook, and uh, my mom never taught me or anything like that. and you know, but for me, like, that sort of way of learning is sort of natural, but I have to, like, teach that to people. So <laughs> I'm, like, talking. So I, I start interviewing all these people that aren't cooking regularly. And they had every reason under the sun not to co- not to cook. They didn't have time. Their kids won't eat it. They don't like it. Like, I have people be very angry because of. Like they didn't want to have like a woman's job, you know, like just like a whole bunch of baggage around around the kitchen. And but, you know, it's it turned out um most. So but the people who do cook like they they don't have more time than you. Like they don't have more money than you. They're the same demographic of people. They've just figured out how to do it regularly. And so I interviewed them, too. And it turns out that the the main difference was whether or not people could cook without a recipe. Because recipes, if you don't really know how to cook and you're like reliant on a recipe, it goes really slow. You're really inefficient. So it takes forever. Every time you want to cook a recipe, you have to like go to the store and like find whatever ingredients you're missing. And that's a pain in the butt. And then you make too much or you make too little or it doesn't turn out quite right. And you don't know how to fix it because you're not really a cook or your kids won't eat it. And then you have like you know, leftovers that nobody will eat and oh also by the way you have half an onion and half a bunch of carrots because you only use them for the one recipe and there's like all this extra and then it rots in your fridge so you feel like you're wasting money. There's like all these issues. But if like that's what happens when you just completely rely on recipes. And but people who don't rely on recipes, they open their fridge like, Oh, I've got four carrots, half an onion um, you know, and they look they look through what they have and they just whip something up and they know how to make it taste good and they'll taste it and they're like, ah it needs lemon, you know, they'll add lemon and it'll add a little salt and it'll taste amazing. And they can they can do that in twenty minutes. And I realized that this was a big thing for people. Actually I have a whole program (laughs) that I created to teach people how to cook without recipes. Um it's called Food is Kitchen if you're curious. But um yeah, no, that's a that's a serious issue. And it's again, it's just like a skill you need to learn. And cooking It's a little bit complex because it's maybe, like, eight skills. Like, you need to know how to use a knife. You need to know how heat works. You need to know how things cook. You need to know how flavors pair together. But, like, these are all, like, totally learnable skills. They're not hard. You just have to go through the process of learning it. And really, nobody ever teaches you how to do that unless you had a mom or grandma say, this is how you taste it, and this is what it should taste like, and this is what it should look like when the onion's brown. You don't know. So yeah
1: no it's I completely agree. it's <laughs> something i'm sort of learning just now and I, I go one way for a while and i'm really good and then you know I experiment and i learn how to cook and then other times i'm uh yeah let's just get a takeaway so <laughs> it's a lot safer and i like that approach you know it's just just try it and you know build into it and stop trying to you know force yourself to follow recipes and instead experiment and you know and what is the mindful meal challenge that you advertise on your website?
0: Oh yeah, so you know, like we were talking about earlier, a huge part of behavior change is the fact that your brain is when when you're dealing with subconscious behaviors that sort of happen on autopilot, your brain isn't very good at realizing the reasons you're doing stuff. Like it can, like if you ask you, <laughs> like if someone asks you why you're doing something, you'll give a reason, but it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> like you'll, it's like. You'll just give whatever reason, but usually it's more subtle and more complex and there's a deeper reason for things that we do. And the number one most important step in undoing that and being able to change your behavior in a meaningful way is to first be aware of all those things that are going on in your head. And it's really hard to do because like I told you, by the definition of being subconscious, you're not aware. Like, that's the definition of subconscious. So bringing awareness is, is difficult but also essential. And the way you can do that is by practicing. And, and this is basically like what Buddhists have known for 3,000 years. Um, and what meditators do is they're learning to become aware of when their brain goes on autopilot and then bringing it back to present moment. This is incredible. Incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful around food because so much of our eating happens automatically fast on autopilot and we overeat, we make bad decisions and so essentially I discovered uh, over the uh, many years of, of doing this both with my own eating behavior and, and working with, with people is that becoming a mindful eater somebody who's aware of the eating process and um, first of all, it makes you uh, really enjoy your food more. Because when you're zoning out and you're reading a book or you're watching TV and you're eating, you're not tasting your food. I mean, barely, a little bit. But when you actually really focus in on what you're eating, it's a completely different experience. And you eat slower. You naturally eat less. You're satisfied more with the food that you do eat, even though there's less of it. You make better choices. It's Really, really life changing if you can do it, but it's a really hard skill to learn. So, what I created was uh, basically a, a free five day program to teach you how to do this. Um, it's not like you'll do the program and then forever you'll be a mindful eater. It's just sort of like an introduction to mindful eating, but it takes you through why it's hard, how to do it, you know, how to, what what issues are going to come up and how to deal with those and you know it's just a fun little thing it starts monday through friday um that i just created for for people to learn that skill because i just know how essential it is for people to you know bring awareness to the eating process in order to make those behavior changes
1: yeah i mean it's something that i immediately pounced on when i seen it because we never actually pay attention to what we're eating we're always doing something else you know like on your phone or chatting or you very rarely actually pay attention and actually taste what you've got in front of you. You know, you're already yeah. thinking about the next five, six things that you've got to do. Um, I know we're coming up to about an hour so so. Um, are you okay for a few more? Uh, sure. Yeah. So h- now's the perfect time. It's um, just to get to know more about, a bit about you. So this is the fast break questions. So I just throw out a prompt to you and you just answer with whatever comes back in your, into your mind. Um, okay. So at things like, what's your favorite film?
0: Ghostbusters.
1: Uh, and the original, or is it the remake?
0: Oh yeah, the original.
1: Good choice. Because um, <laughs> I, I always like these things. Because you know we can talk about the the aspects of a bit. It's always get, good to get to know the guest, and there's some amazing surprises that come up. Um, Nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I like to be weird. <laughs> um, so what would you consider your favorite meal? You know, what's your go-to? like something you either order in or cook? Because I noticed that you are all you love to cook on your Instagram.
0: Yeah, I cook a lot. Um, but, like, my favorite meal means so many different things because there's so many different contexts. But one of the things I just eat all the time um, is it's cabbage and eggs. I saute cabbage with uh, olive oil and then some soy sauce and then scramble some eggs on there. And I eat it probably three or four times a week, and it sounds really horrible, but it's amazing and really satisfying and delicious. So, yeah.
1: there. <laughs> it wasn't what I was expecting after seeing some of the meals that you have, but, you know. each to the Yeah, own. it's
0: just, it's so easy, and it's so good, and it sounds so boring, but it's like, I just eat it all the time because it's so awesome.
1: Um, your favorite podcast that's not your own? And I'm interested to see which, if you pick the one that Tim does with Kevin.
0: The random show? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, that's fine. But I actually, I really do love Tim's show. Um, it's probably my favorite podcast. I just think he does a really good job of answering or asking questions of really interesting people.
1: It's certainly something I'm working on. You know, I still find myself answering a few of the boring questions and. I like the way Tim just kind of really deeply uh, you know goes down in analysis uh, of stuff you don't even think about, and I'm trying to become more like that, but Tim's something else. Um, I really yeah. like the way him and Kevin just go off in complete tangents, and it's, it's a great show. And I never thought that you'd be cooking behind the scenes while they were doing it. And-
0: <laughs> I usually am. Gosh, those two can eat, man.
1: Because you kind of forget I, you forget that that there is life going on behind it, you know. You like and you've got toaster and like your dog. And...
0: <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to keep the house running. I, yeah, once um, I kid you not, once after they filmed a random show at my house, I had just roasted a chicken and these two men ate the entire thing like with their fingers, like picked it apart like by barbarians. It was really something to behold.
1: <laughs> and how did the whole sort of randomness aspect of their show, you know how? Compare that to your scientific viewpoints. Um, do you and Tim ever butt heads in the way that you look at things, or do you quite like the sort of analysis aspects you both utilize?
0: That's funny. Um, so so Tim is actually a lot like me. Like Tim's very analytical. The random stuff comes from Kevin. <laughs> like, that's, that's all. That's all my husband. And um, I actually really love that about him because we balance each other out really nicely.
1: No, I mean, it just, from having a look through your social media and stuff, and you can actually see that strong bond there, and it's that's the kind of lifestyle, you know, it's the the experimentation and the, the doing things, and the dog is, you know, that's, for me, that was the ideal life. Like, uh,
0: <laughs> Everybody loves toaster. Exactly,
1: cute You like it. Uh, and uh, what's the biggest food myth you wish would die?
0: Ah, oh, the biggest food myth I wish would die... I I really, like, just that there are, like, good foods and bad foods. Like, that there's, like, foods that are good for you and bad for you. Like, I just, that, I think that just undoes so much of my work.
1: (laughs) I wish people would stop it. And uh, what was the strangest fact you learned during your PhD?
0: Oh, gosh. Strangest fact. Or
1: something that you, every time you think about it, it just blows your mind.
0: Um... I'm actually not going to I'm going to tell you something I learned way before my PhD but it still blows my mind to this day and it has to do with it kind of has to do with food whenever I eat a mushroom I remember that it's not a plant isn't that crazy (laughs) a mushroom is a fungus and that is an entirely different kingdom of creatures it's not a plant a plant is different a uh, animal is different. A mineral is different. Those aren't creatures. But a uh, uh, mushroom is not a plant. They're com- they're completely different. Not a different species. Not a different genus. A different kingdom. It's trippy, man.
1: I bet because like if you ask somebody that they would immediately go no it's a plant. You know,
0: very yeah, few few I people know.
1: would ever uh, know that.
0: That's why I have to like explain it because I say it's not a plant and people are just like whatever. I'm like no, shut up. Listen, <laughs> it's, it's it's not a plant. It's not even. Related to a plant, they're completely different. They evolved completely separately. It's so cool. They have like cell walls and like a nucleus. That's weird. I, I forget why they're all different, but it's really cool.
1: And if I was to ask you what you're most proud of on your website or your, you know, your is it your book? Is it your podcast? Yeah, what, what do you want people to check out first?
0: Ooh, good question. Um. You know, I mean, if you're starting from the beginning, I mean, you should read Foodist, my book. Um I'm very proud of it. I spent a lot of time on it. And, you know, it's not everything like you're, you're going to come back and you're going to need the podcast and you're going to need the articles, too. But, you know, if you're that intro. Nice if you're in- <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like this is I mean, if you didn't get the hint from our conversation, like this is a complex topic, like. Because you're talking about nutrition, which we talked about like for the first half of the show, super complicated. And then you're talking about human psychology. They, like complicated is, doesn't even begin to describe how messed up that is, right? So when you're integrating these two things, it's, it's a lot in most, almost every other. I, I've, I've never really seen anyone else who does what I do in that way. So, you know, there, it, there's a lot of nuance and it, it's very complex. But foodist is a great like basic foundation of like what i believe and like how to go about it and it's a blueprint especially if you've ever dieted if you've been a dieter um and then once you are ready for the more nuance and you know adding the complications to your own personal life then summer tomato and and the podcast foodist is going to help you there
1: and what's your take on shows like the biggest loser and you know like these rapid diet shows and getting people to sprint when they're 300 plus pounds and, you know, morbidly obese.
0: So TV, rot your brain. (laughs) Stop watching it. Go outside, (laughs) read a book. Um, I, I, I really, I don't like any TV. I loathe that show. I, I, I think it is cruel and unusual. I think it should be illegal. I, I, I think it's absolutely disgusting what they do to those people. Um, they gain the weight back, of course. They gain the weight. It's a, can you imagine how heartbreaking? Like I just, I can't. It's it's so cruel, and I, it's, they they're using a method that is proven not to work. I mean, short term it works, but it it makes these people less healthy and completely demoralizes them. And that that they are profiting. That people want to watch this. These people suffer. It just makes me sick. And they're, I,
1: I, it's, they're not even fixing the fault. They're, you know, they're not fixing what's causing it. They're just fixing the result of it. You know, they're not. Fix-
0: no, they're making it worse. Like they—they—they're making it worse by by undermining their metabolism and undermining their psychology to never want to try again. It's freaking disgusting. I, I get very upset. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like they're not—they're not just not fixing the, the cause. They're not just—they're not. Because they lose weight, but only for a year. Like it doesn't last.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's really horrible.
1: So, I mean, what um, have you ever uh, like been approached to appear on a show like that, or how would you deal with somebody that's morbidly obese?
0: Um,
1: those are two
0: separate questions. Um, <laughs> I have been pitched for many shows, and I always say no. Um, and the. W- with somebody, I mean, I, I work with people who are obese all the time, and you do it with compassion and with realistic things. You don't turn it into a spectacle for other people to gawk at. Hmm. It's it's like everybody's got their own thing going on, and um, it shouldn't be a, a public circus.
1: No, because I, I, I feel like your yeah. your approach would really help a lot of people. You know, and it's a shame that we. Put that up as for fun, rather than you know people like you who actually can change people's lives. It's yeah.
0: Well, my stuff is way too slow and boring to ever be on TV. <laughs>
1: Every, this is, and by the way, this is the reason
0: they they I always say no to the shows because they always want me to do something I don't believe in because they want a quick fix, like you know, sound bite. And I'm I'm like I won't give you that. I don't believe it works.
1: Because that's so, the biggest no. problem. It's it's a quick fix. It's not a full fix. Um yeah. what's a guilty pleasure of yours?
0: Mm, I mean, my favorite indulgence always is wine. <laughs>
1: like,
0: I mean, you can you can go really far with me if with a nice bottle of champagne.
1: So. I'll remember that. <laughs> um, what's an unusual fact about yourself?
0: Hmm. I did win the burping competition in eighth grade. By reciting the alphabet backwards in a single belch.
1: Of all the things I thought you were going to say, that was certainly was not one of them. Good.
0: <laughs>
1: what would you like somebody listening to take from this interview? You know, is there something? What would you like them to remember most from this?
0: Don't diet. Never diet. It'll. It makes it worse, not better. It makes it harder, not easier. It'll backfire. You'll fail. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> So you're not a fan of diets then? Nope. And how can someone keep in touch with you?
0: SummerTomato.com. dot com, and just I mean the best thing to do is just sign up for my newsletter. It's um, once a week, and you just get the best of Summer Tomato, and give you give you the run through intro at the beginning, and yeah, just a, just a weekly update from me. All right.
1: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I really cannot thank you enough for coming on. Um, I can't. I really do enjoy your stuff, and it's really actually helped me start losing a bit of weight and you started making me actually think more about what I'm eating, why I'm eating, and how I'm eating. Um, the floor is open to you if you'd like to promote any products, any things you've got coming up, um, things for people to check out. Yeah,
0: well, I, I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that my work has helped you, and um, thank you for having me. And I think we plugged everything already. I mean, if you're a podcast listener, you should definitely check out the Foodist podcast.
1: <laughs> no, it's something I've certainly enjoyed, especially listening to the bodybuilder, who's
0: um, oh, the recent one, uh, yeah.
1: Um, the name has completely lost me. Just now. I was only listening to it on the way home, and just listening to how some people, you know, like she, the way she was starving herself and what a difference it made by just eating proper you know yeah. it's amazing like she did the same thing as me waiting for the cheat meal and then you explode and then you have to start again and it's a vicious circle
0: yeah yeah there's so many good lessons in the people i interview for my show it's um you know they're real people which is I, I, it's really cool it's really fun for me because it never gets bored because people have amazing ways of torturing themselves with food <laughs>
1: <laughs> well thank you very much i um, i really appreciate of it of your time, and, um, yeah, I'll, um... That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.